This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Hello. Hello. How are you guys? Good. So uh, I've watched the first three episodes of Firebite. Wow. Like, so great to see some Australian horror, finally. Yeah. I just wondered, my first question is to you, what are your guys' vampire TV and movie influences? I mean, I grew up with Christopher Lee playing Dracula in the Hammer Horror films and Count Yorga Vampire, but you guys are a bit younger than me, so I'm wondering what, what sort of vampire shows did you love as uh, as teenagers and young adults? Lost Boys. Yeah, Lost Boys. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's just being a teenager, really. Mm. Yeah. I think the Lost Boys soundtrack had just as much to do with it, you know what I mean? Kepa Sullivan and all those guys, mm. you know, sort of. They, they're still the pouting, rooty, eyeliner, cool dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, we kind of wanted to make ours a little bit more uglier mm. and, 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 yeah, a little bit, a lot more smellier, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, 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 sort of you steal, well, you steal or you take or you emulate from all, all shows in a way, what you like, you know. Nosferatu, obviously. Yeah. As you get older, you go back to the you go back to the basics and the classics in a way, and you go, "Geez, that was really cool." It's sort of seminally um, groundbreaking, mm. you know. Firebite reminded me a little bit of Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's nineteen eighty seven film that was yeah. set up in yeah. Texas. Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen it, and it's been mentioned a couple mm. of times. Mm. But, you know, um, yeah, totally. That's the one in the in the van, eh? Real big. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it either, but but I, I had a lot of people during pre, a lot of the crew during pre were like, oh, this is like near dark, Catherine Bigelow. And I tried to find, it's, there's bits of it on YouTube, but it's hard to find actually. Yeah, look, it might be there as part of the Criterion Collection or something like that overseas. But yeah, I, I think it's, I don't see it on TV. I don't see it really on any streamers at the moment, but certainly in terms of like a vampire classic, I'd put that up there. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Tell me about the involvement of AMC in, in this. Um, did you guys make the show independently of them and they got it as an acquisition afterwards or they were they involved uh, at some point in the production? No, AMC have been there um, since not quite ground zero but since very early on. You know, our producers Seesaw, you know, who themselves are a pretty formidable production company, um, took it to AMC. Well, I mean, we started working on this in 2014. So Warwick and I, Warwick had the original idea and then we wrote the first draft back in the day, took that to Seesaw. You know, we worked it with them back and forth a little bit and then they took it to AMC, I, I want to say 2016, like quite some time ago. And pretty quickly they were like, oh, yes, let's develop this. So we had, you know, a good, I don't know, say three years of pretty rigorous development with them and it went left, it went right, it went up, it went down, it went big, it went small. Well, it was mainly went big actually. Um, and, yeah, to cut a long story short, we ended up with the show that, um, the show that you see here. And, you know, when Warwick first talked to me about the idea, um, uh, one of his first sort of utterances was like, this is for America. This is for the world. This is, this is, of course it's for blackfellas and it's for Australia, but it's not just for us. This is a story that happened the world over and let's take it to the world. So from the very beginning, we kind of had that, that kind of um, true North for us. It was like, how can we speak to everyone? You know, we've made all the films that we've made, but how can we think, 
how can we expand our thinking and our vision? So, yeah, AMC, they came on board, I guess, you know, pretty early when you think about it. And, you know, we were obviously stoked with that. And it's just been a case of working with them to get the, to get the vision right for all of us. And when AMC started working with you on this, were they just a network then and the streaming services come later? Because it feels like Firebyte is being used to launch AMC here in Australia through Amazon Prime Video. That's, that's absolutely right. When we first worked with them over all of those years, they were a cable network, and of course they still are. And I think even back then the whole streaming thing was still sorting itself out. You know, I think yeah. Netflix was around but not much else. So, um, yeah, look, as creatives, you don't really think about that stuff. You're just looking at obviously story and character and whatnot. But I think the way it's worked out is the streaming services has given, um, well, I say broadcasters, I guess they don't just broadcast these days, but given all those studio mob, just a bit more flexibility and given them a, a, an opportunity to take risks where it doesn't have to play with the insurance commercials to their you know, massive kind of base, uh, you know, during prime time. It doesn't have to be launched like that. It can be launched through a streaming service so they can maybe take a bit more risk, um, which, you know, we're very happy about because it's a bold show. It feels, um, compared to some of your work before, it feels like this one is really quite sped up. It feels like maybe some of the stuff you've done before was in 33 and a third RPM and now it's 45 RPM. I mean, this is very action-packed, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, as Brendan said, we kind of, you know, we've made some incredibly worthy shows. You know what I mean? Some important shows about, you know, a, a dialogue that that we needed, we need to have in Australia about an indi- indigenous communities, and, yeah, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And the, you know, I when talking to Brendan in the, in the early days, it's like, no, let's just kick in the doors and turn the amps up. You know what I mean? And have as much fun as possible. Yeah, and and not be not be blinkered into you know the importance of our our storytelling. Let's just mm-hmm. just let's just rock out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, we it, we liken the show to a, a good seventies rock and roll album where you can just dance to it if you want to, <laughs> or you can sit down and read the lyrics. Yeah, true. That's I mean, a great way to describe it. Yeah, you know, sadly, it has to be in the seventies because after that, it, they didn't print the lyrics anymore. On the <laughs> buddy, <laughs> we don't get the lyrics anymore, do we? <laughs> so true. So true. The other thing is too, like because the core metaphor of the show is so strong and so simple. Like whenever we just focus on story and character within the framework of that metaphor. It's impossible for the for this stuff not to mean something. Like it, no matter how hard we try to not think about the thematics of this, it's all there anyway. Do you know what I mean? If we just go with our instincts and kind of lean into the kind of, uh, I guess, the kind of storytelling mouse, um, it's it's all stacked under the surface, man. And that's what's you know it gives. What it means is that we can have fun as filmmakers and we can sort of take the kind of precious goggles off and just drive some fast cars and kill some vampires. But it's not hard to see what's underneath it, of course, at all, you know? Um, And that's, I guess that's what makes it kind of cool. Well, you've got this great true history that you play with in terms of the colonisation of Australia. And then you get to mash up that 
vampire mythology into it. And then you get, it's, it's great, isn't it? Because you can trade on a lot of the stuff that we know from vampire shows, but you can adapt it slightly for this new world you're setting here in Australia. That's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. How can we draw on the, the cool stuff from gothic vampire history and what do we want to throw out? Like, do we really want them to be afraid of garlic? No. <laughs> you know? What, what can work better than that? Well, and how can that work better for our story and, and, um, and our, uh, our metaphor? So I guess we thought a lot about what we want to keep and what we want to reinvent and uh, what we want to make up. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're just driven by making something that is not going to lo- lose the power of the vampire metaphor yeah. but still keep, the, um, keep it fresh and exciting. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about your two lead characters, Rob Collins and Shante Barnes-Cohen. Um, very different role for Rob Collins. Like I've never seen him so crazy and so well, he's kind of a bit broken in this one, which you don't normally see with him. And let's talk about Shantae as well because, you know, we saw her first in the first series of Total Control, but, wow, she really comes into her own in Firebite. Man, where do you where do you see where she gets to? I mean, I'll just tell you now. Just watch out for Shantae. I mean, I'm sure you already are, but this girl is she's the bona fide movie star. I mean, Rob is as well. Rob's James Bond waiting to happen as well. We'll talk. We'll get to him. But um, from the moment we saw Shantae's first little dicky screen test, we were like, you just cannot you cannot take your eyes off her. Yeah, she's one of those actors that. Um, by doing very little, she says so much, you know, which yeah. is great for the sort of filmmaking that we do. And has that combo of being able to be fully authentic for this character, yet also, um, I don't know, she kind of lets you into her mind in a way, like she lets you into what's going on for her in a way that's just just great for the sort of the genre stuff that we're making. So, look, c- couldn't be more excited about Shantae and Rob. I mean, just exactly like you said, like, Compared to the shows that we're used to seeing him in, this is this is him upside down. This is him inverse. This is like dream nightmare, Rob Collins. And look how much fun he's having doing it. You know, you know, like I feel like when he sat down and spoke to us about this, there was kind of a moment of like we're all looking at each other, going, "This is kind of different for you, isn't it?" And he just took a deep breath and went, I'm in, I'm in guys, you know, and he never came out. And the further he, the further in he got and the deeper he got into it, the more he started coming to us with kind of ideas and suggestions and just, you know, the rest is history. He just, you look at him on the screen, he anchors the whole thing, you know. He anchors, he, he's funny, he's fun, he's dynamic with his action. And just as a performer, he's fabulous for Shantae as well. Like he really kind of, is a great model for her to kind of um, kind of work around on set for as a young as a young actor coming up. So, yeah, again, I suppose you could say another thing that that is in character with the show is that we're trying to trying to kind of shake things up, and by yeah. casting Rob in that role, um, you know, it's really paid off. I think. There's this great moment for me with Shantae where. Uh, and I, I don't do any plot spoilers here, but she picks some vampires in the crowd when nobody else is paying any attention to them. And that look she gives them as she comes up from under the baseball cap and gives them that 
kind of death stare. I see exactly what you guys are saying about her. It's there in that moment with her. Mm. Yeah, she's um, <clears throat> she she owns it. You know, I, I, there's always there's a great line in the in the show where he she's talking to the principal and she says about you know about Tyson. He's a dickhead, but he's not an asshole. If that's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Has this beautiful, calm. You know, he's he's a, he's a, he is a dickhead. The character of um, Tyson is a complete dickhead, but a, but a lovable dickhead, and she just has to put up with him every day. And it's kind of that beautiful dysfunctional character, a, a dysfunctional family. You know, you know. And on top of that, she has to go to school, but you know. She has to kill vampires all night and go to school all day. <laughs> so we were told not to give away plot spoilers and I would never do that. But, I mean, I couldn't possibly because this show has some of the best cliffhangers I've seen in a long while. When episode one finishes, you're like, oh, my God. And, and then the same thing happens in episode two. Are we going to see this all through? Every episode ends with you just on the edge of your seat? Yeah. It gets better too. I reckon. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, honestly, sort of. You know, I, I and you know, I, I hate cliffhangers. <laughs> I, I, I gave up on Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. I went right. They need to finish the series, and then I'll go and watch them all. Yeah. So, you know, I just can't wait another year. You know how annoying that stuff is. So, and ironically, I'm doing it to an audience. So, it's sort of like, I apologise, but it works really well. So. <laughs> The supporting cast in Firebite is great too, you know, and it, you, you see an actor like Kelton Powell who I remember seeing for the first time in Cloud Street years ago and Tessa Rose, who for me was someone that really stood out in Redfern now. I was just like, what, what? She's amazing. Why isn't she in shows all the time? But now we see a whole bunch of uh, Indigenous actors, young, older character popping up in things. It's what do you reckon has been the major thing that has helped us bring Indigenous storytelling to the screen? Has it been a funding body? Has it been one of the public broadcasters saying, let's create an Indigenous unit and create TV shows like The Gods of Wheat Street? What do you think are the major things that have brought us to where we are today? I think, I think all of those things, but they, they all actually happen, you know, whether it's funding bodies or, you know, state or federal um, initiatives, but all of that has come from um, an actual audience having a hunger yeah. for Indigenous storytelling, wanting to hear a first-hand point of view rather than a second-hand or, a, you know what I mean? And, and actually hung, a hunger for information um, and then when that information was coming, it was actually incredibly entertaining. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the educating actually was unbelievably entertaining and that sort of, so it just bloomed naturally, you know. Sort of like a you know like a weed in a way, but a, a native weed yeah. <laughs> fighting against the the roses, yeah. growing through the roses and then actually having a more beautiful flower. And in, in I don't know, I'm stupid with metaphors all the time, but you know what I mean. It kind of it started from a hunger from 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 Australia, and that's where it bloomed. Tell me about filming in Cooper Pedy, uh, and in particular. The, I've been reading that there's going to be uh, the vampire lair is not a set. It's an actual cave out there with all those disused mine shafts and all that. Tell me about Cooper Pedy and these incredible natural locations you have to film in. So obviously Cooper Pedy, you know, is the opal capital of the world and 
for maybe a hundred years now, people have been coming from all around the world to try their luck at finding some opal. So they dig a hole, they might find some, they dig it a bit more, they find a whole lot, they, they then make it a massive hole, or sometimes they just dig a hole and find nothing. But inevitably, they move on. So around this tiny town of Cupertini, like we're talking population 3,000 or something, like very small, there are 240,000 abandoned mine shafts. Wow. Like seriously, look, Google it. Like 200, a quarter of a million holes around a town of 3,000 people. And they're like 30 metres deep. Each shaft yeah. is like 20 to 30 metres deep. So they're not, they're not like, you know, a couple of feet down. Yeah, yeah. You fall down those holes, you will not be found, man. So um, we had to go down a bunch of them and, you know, we obviously had the locals kind of, you know, escorting us safely, but man, you don't need to build much when you see those holes, you know, like it is a totally unique environment, hugely cinematic. We're working with kind of shafts of light from the surface that illuminate the darkness. It's, you know, the metaphors all there, the cinema's all there. So it was a no-brainer. I mean, from day dot, Warwick was like, this is a show we're going to film in Cupertini. You know, we changed the name to Opal City just to kind of give it a kind of cinematic, kind of expansive vibe. But this couldn't have been shot anywhere else. And we're, you know, we're very happy about that too. Like it's, it's, it's kind of wedded to the concept, isn't it? It's like abandoned mining shafts where all of the riches have been dragged out of the ground. That's where the vampires now make their new home. Like it kind of works on every level. So, totally. um, of course, you know, we shot in Adelaide as well. We did interiors here. We built some stuff in the studio, but yeah, can't wait till you get further into the series and see, you know, see what the labyrinth really looks like down there. Did you have to film at a certain time of year? Because it gets pretty hot in Cooperpedia. Did you ha have to arrange a schedule? Although you're filming underground where I presume the temperature would be, what, a bit of a core temperature down there, much cooler? It is, but, you know, there's still plenty of stuff that's above ground as well. We, we, we were totally focusing on the middle of the year and we yeah. ended up finishing our shooting, oh, gee, first week of December, first couple of days of December, which is a little bit later than we wanted to because it's starting to get pretty hot. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a middle of the year kind of schedule for us. Did COVID smash you around or were you able to sort of work through because of where you were situated? Look, being in South Australia where they, you know, they close their borders to when someone looks like sneezing, um, was, was frustrating on some levels for us because we were locked in here and there were certain actors that, you know, we had some challenges with, um, and crew as well. But once we got here, we were in a vacuum, you know, and we were able to, well, of course, we had to follow the protocols and, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that we had to do. But it wasn't like we, if we were shooting in Sydney or Melbourne at the same time, it would have been a hell of a different story, you know. Yeah. So um, we were shut down for one week in pre. One week. One yep. week in pre. And then we had a complete 82-day clear run yep. with, with no closing of, you know, um, what you know, we didn't. Yeah, we no, didn't lockdowns, no, no, no lockdowns, no stay-at-home no. orders. So yeah. That vacuum saved us in the end. Yeah. Any other state, we would have been. Well, look, congratulations! I'm so happy with what I've seen, and we haven't had a great vampire TV show, I don't reckon, since True Blood. There's a there's a opening for this. I hope you guys are ready to be doing Comic Con and all these things. When the show takes off, you'll have fans looking at your earlier work for years to come. So congratulations. 
Thank you so much. And uh, here's to a second season of Firebite, which you can watch now on AMC here in Australia through Amazon Prime Video. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Hey, um, Brendan Fletcher, thank you, Warwick. Fantastic. I'm a huge fan of your guys' work and, uh, yeah, you've really delivered on this one. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hey, um, uh, don't forget to play some music by the drones. (laughs) Right. We did uh, the soundtrack stuff. On, on this, obviously there's, there's lots of kind of licensed music in here, yeah. but the composers um, who actually did the score, Dan Luscombe and Gareth Lydia, they're in a band called The Drones, and their, their kind of sound, their hardcore Aussie rock and roll is, I think, really important in the kind of the tone of the show and the kind of rebel vibe of the show. So, yeah. yeah. Feel free to feel free to do that. Well, you won me over as soon as you said it's like a seventies LP with the lyrics. You know, there's my uh, record player there with my records. Yeah, I'm still very old school and have a lot of those LPs from the seventies. So I'm in the drones. I'll check it out. Is that the, is that an Adam and an, and the ants up in the top corner there, or the pink one? No, no, the pink ones are uh, the crazy uh, new romantic look that the village people did when they oh. were bad for them. It's hilarious. It's so bad. I, I have to put it there. I love you, romantic. So. Yeah. It, it only lasted one album. Let's put it that way. And then they went back to the construction worker and the Indian. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Thanks, everyone. All right, well, Thanks. Bye. Thank Bye. you.